Robbie Knox here, landlord of the Moon Underwater, and I have a very exciting announcement to share with you. Have you ever found yourself listening along to the podcast thinking, hmm, I wish I could experience this with my own eyes in the real world? Well, you're in luck, because very soon the Moon Underwater will be returning to the other realm for a special live show. As it's such a special occasion, we thought we'd invite an equally special guest along. Joining us on the night to create their dream pub is the Edinburgh Comedy Award-winning comedian Ahir Shah. It's taking place on Sunday the 7th of April at Moth Club in London. Tickets are on general sale now. Search Moon Under Pod on socials, head to our page and click the link in the bio to get your tickets. We look forward to seeing you there. Botox Cosmetic, Autobotulinum Toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Oh, pub me to sleep, and shroud my slumbers with the gloaming dusks of former skies. And when I wake, greet me with long lingering streets that lead far away, beyond memory, beyond desire, into the further realm, and into the moon underwater. It is a tonic to see you sat at my bar, so how does the bar find you? Fine. I've been bejabbed for a second time, so I'm fully bejabbed. Well, I have been bejabbed for a second time today, too. Great. How are you feeling? I feel good. I mean, I've had a headache for two days, but I think that's a sort of a stress-slash-tension headache. I don't think that's anything to do with being bejabbed. How are you feeling? Yeah, I feel fine. Bit of a sore arm. But uh, yeah, so I don't really know why I'm lying down on the bar and the moon underwater on my left arm. It uh, seems stupid now. It has healing qualities, the bar at the moon underwater, somewhat like the waters of Lords. Yeah. And various sites of religious or historic interest. Why don't you try just resting that sore head of yours on the, some of these just on the wood there? See if that helps. Oh, let's give it a go. Do you know what? That's... It feels like fresh water is running through my neck and into my mind. (laughs) And I have to say it's clearing, like a cloud that parts to reveal a nicer cloud. I'm just worried that people are going to start making pilgrimages to the moon underwater for its healing properties. Well, that's to be encouraged, I would say. I've been thinking a lot, Robin after recent uh, foot tennis events, about (laughs) nationhood and nationalities. I wonder what nation the moon underwater represents, because, you know, nations have different vibes to pubs. And I wonder if, perhaps, the moon underwater is a pub for all nations. 
Yeah, so it's, it's pl- pluralism. Yeah, it's a pluralist pub for all nations, but perhaps does maintain either written out on some kind of board or just in the vibe some of the the great British tendencies for decency, politeness, tolerance. I get that vibe from it. What do you? How do you feel? Well, just to look at the flag, we've literally got every colour on there, mm. every colour. But doesn't that make the flag very like that? You know, when you have to select a colour from a colour spectrum in a like a word document or an Instagram, and it's basically a sort of a smudge of every colour in the spectrum, and you have to sort of pick a cursor. It's quite actually hard. It's actually quite pointless. Well, I quite like getting the codes. You know, hashtag F E F E F E something like that. B3, I don't know, 4. Yeah, so that's maybe the flag of the moon underwater is just that sort of smudge spectrum you get when selecting your colour of text for your Instagram story post. Yeah, the only hashtags we have here are those hashtags which determine those colours. Because we don't have social media here. No, not at all, thank the Lord. Um, But we do have it outside the pub in order to tell people about goings-on in the pub, including live moon underwaters. We will be bringing the spirit of the moon underwater to a pub near you, if you live in Chiswick. (laughs) And um, we'd be delighted to see you there with a number of rotating vibe guests uh, that we've got. And the tickets are available for dates on the 15th and 22nd of August, the 5th, 19th and 26th of September. So five live moon underwater pods, but not five live, as in five live moon underpods. And due to the recent government announcement about relaxation of restrictions, we can now release even more ticks. So head to moonunderpod.com and get yourself a tick, or two, or three, or four ticks. And we shall be able to quaff pints against. Against. What can people expect from the Moon Underwater live shows, John? They can expect all that you witness by listening to the Moon Underwater from being in the moon underwater with us, but you'll actually be able to see us and you'll be able to hear us slurping our pints, the odd hiccup perhaps, and you'll be able to hear just great chat with our guests in a lovely pub and it's in a sort of a separate room of the pub, so it's not around your regs, your regulars. Uh, It's in a nice big separate room with its own little bar and it's just a little sort of nice little slice of, of fun. Yes, did you sigh for the mail today, Robin? The missed mail? Yes, I sighed. And the mail did come. You know, the mail is... some. Is it in America where the mail is a symbol of a trumpet, isn't it? A kind of tr- trumpets. The missed mail is... is the symbol is a, is a sigh. Right. It's hard to describe, you know. I mean, I can't describe it to you, but you'll you see it. It's like that's the universal symbol of a sigh. Like a corporate sigh logo. Yeah, a corporate sigh logo. No, it's beyond language, but... Yeah, had some delightful messages via the missed mail. A couple of people writing in to do with the mention last week about candlelit pubs. I was talking about the firehouse in Exeter. Hello, chaps. If you like candlelit pubs, the greatest you could find would be the Oval in Cork. Candles in the double figures in a pub of almost entirely wooden interior. Sounds a bit dangerous. Get to the hearth at the end of the pub for extra fire. No matter how cold outside, it's always far too hot. No matter how far out the snuggy try to sneak unnoticed from Alec in Manchester. But that pub really does look absolutely stunning. Oh, have you looked it up in your mind? Yeah, I've looked it up in my mind. Um, What's it called again? The Cork, sorry, um, the Oval in Cork. 
Oh, candlelit snugs. I'm just looking it up in my mind now. Oh, yeah, I think I'd be happy to live and die there. Oh, my district. Oh, my vague district. Oh, the districts of my past. Oh, I really like that. This guy, one of the photos is sort of quite blurry and vague. I hope it's like that in there. Oh, yeah, I can see the one you mean. Yeah. <laughs> like It's like a photo of someone's memory. <laughs> yeah. And another great mist mail here from uh, Jamie in Perth, Australia, about gaslight pubs. Not about kind of psychologically manipulating someone, but I grew up in Harrogate and frequented a lovely little pub called Hales Bar in my formative years. It was a small bar, a bit like the Crown Posada in Newcastle. Great pub, with a saloon bar on one side and an all-booth seating in the main bar, making it great for hiding in plain sight. However, as an old Edwardian pub, it was gas-lit. Literally, the wall lights were powered by gas, burning on a sort of gauze bulb. There were physical handles to decrease or increase the amount of gas being burnt, and thus the brightness of the warm, glowing globes. It also had gas taps on the bar. Again, it sounds quite dangerous. It also had gas taps on the bar itself. These little pilot lights were, at least in the 90s, permanently lit, and smokers used them to light their tabs. I've not seen this used in any other pub since, and wondered how many other establishments have used gas lights. Are any still using them? Or, as I suspect, they have been outlawed by safety bureaucrats these days. (laughs) That's great. Love the pod. Thanks, Jamie. That's brilliant. I think the crown in Belfast used to be gaslit, but obviously when it was rebuilt, it was no longer gaslit. Rob, if you look up Hales Bar in your mind, there is a photo of an alleyway that Hales Bar backs onto. So Which, if, I look at, if I'm looking it up in my mind, am I selecting images or all in my mind's browser? You're looking at all, but when it comes up in your mind on maps, yeah, on the right-hand side of your mind, you know there's an option to just see the photos in your mind. Photos. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's nice. That's a sort of, um, what's that, panorama? Oh, my <laughs> God. This is... <laughs> this is fantastic. And there is an actual, I think that's a photo of one of the old gas taps, which presumably there just as kind of a ornament now. But if you s- scroll down on the left in your mind, you'll get to a photo of the alleyway at night that's lamplit. Oh, my days. Yeah. That looks like where you used to go to write poetry as a teenager. <laughs> yeah, the wet, misty, cobbled streets. The cobbled streets. Again, it's quite blurry. Which I like. Yeah. It's got a nice carpet as well, hasn't it? Yeah, I would love to visit there, not just in my mind, but in real life. But I think Harrogate and Cork is quite a hefty crawl from Buckinghamshire. We'll have to sort out some kind of uh, moon underwater on the road, road show, like Radio 1 used to do in the 70s and 80s. <laughs> yeah. We'll go to Brighton Beach and uh, play some sound effects of people pouring pints. Yeah. I suppose if you went up to Edinburgh, you could stop along in Harrogate, couldn't you? Yes, you could, mate. Oh, anyway, I need to get this bar looking ship-shaped for this week's guest, because as you mentioned, there's a wet beer mat on it, which is not acceptable. So I'm going to replace with a fresh set of crisply printed beer mats before the arrival of our guest who we're very excited to bring into the moon underwater. (laughs) 
Well, now, Robin, I tell you what, I've got to stop shining this bar. I've got to stop polishing this bar because I can actually see within myself. Mm, yeah, you don't want to polish it too much. You, well, I have polished it too much, and it's reflecting the, the contents of my very soul. And the very cavities of your mind. Yes, and it's put me off my wine. Because <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm drinking wine this evening, Robin. Mm, the wine. I have transported my sen through uh, across the English Channel, then flown over France, uh, Luxembourg, uh, Germany. And I'm now mindfully in the slopes of, of Italy. Oh. Lower Italy, I think they call it. <laughs> Lower Italy. Yes. Yeah, it is. It's Italian red. I'm just checking there, just double-checking nice. on the bottom. Yeah, uh, Primitivo de Manjuria. Oh, I can imagine drinking it in Italy. Yeah, with a, with a sort of a pair of kind of beige chinos and a light blue sort of Oxford shirt. Oh, I don't mind that one bit. And perhaps a little jumper over, slung over the shoulder. Why not? And a packet of cigarettes with no filters. Mm. <laughs> yeah. And a big Pizza Express. Yeah, it sounds like bliss. I've, and I've brought that myself, because I don't think you can get them in Italy. Really? Which is a shame, because they really are superb. Wow. I once heard a man I used to work with say, on his first night in Venice, he had a Domino's. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. <laughs> dear friend. Oh, dear friend. Oh, dear friend. Uh, so dear friend. There's a Queen song that starts like that. Anyway, if I start thinking about Queen songs, I'll never I'll never be able to welcome our guest in who's at the door. Been waiting out there. I've been talking nonsense about flying over Italy in my mind. And here she comes, just a walking through the door, singing. Hello. Uh, it's Lily Waite. Hello, Lily. Hi, how are you doing? I'm good, thank you. Uh, now, Lily, you are our second... Beer writer of the year in the moon underwater. We really are filling up that trophy cabinet here. Tell us about what you what you do for a living. Um, are you just working backwards or sort of just through the list of beer writers of the year? That's not a bad shout, actually. There's some really good uh, good interviewees on there, I imagine. There's, you'd have to have Pete Brown on three times, though. I think we did a Pete Brown um, book in the in the pub library section, which was great. The Shakespeare's local, yeah. Yes, I sort of uh, perked up and went, "Oh, that's my friend Pete." Um, it was a lovely moment. Um, so I am a beer writer um, and photographer. Uh, I also run a you photograph beer. Yes, as part of the the beer writing. Um, wow what how but can i what i want to do that well i i sort of photograph it with my mind yes yeah there is that i do that too but do you do you use a camera i tend to use um real physical cameras as opposed to sort of uh mind realm (laughs) photography equipment okay um but yeah it is sometimes i pinch myself and go how how on earth do i have this job um but i also run the queer brewing project which is a an LGBTQ focused, uh, I guess we're a brewery now. We started off just as a, a collaboration brand, um, making one-off beers, and, and now we have our own range of, of delicious, lovely beers. Um, and I'm also a ceramicist, um, so I have quite the mixed bag of of things that I do. So t- hang on, I'm going to now. I'm going to now just pop to the Moon Underwater fridge and get a queer brewing beer. Is that okay? Of course, fantastic. Please do. I'm I'm afraid um I afraid I've drunk all mine. <laughs> <laughs> but there are worse reasons for not having any more. 
I'm going to head over and get two of your finest beers. I'm just popping around the side of the bar now and lifting some pretty uh, elaborate latches. <laughs> what constitutes a, a mind fridge, Robin? <laughs> That's a very good question. I suppose it needs to be... He's still, he's still talking. Uh, it needs to be cold. <laughs> to back from from the uh, uh, over there <laughs> mm. now I have in my hand Lily I have queer brewing vit beer vit beer wit beer wit beer yes and salt times queer brewing which is a collaboration with salt isn't it yes as in the company not the uh, not the seasoning <laughs> uh, yeah flavor town 2. By Fieri. By Fieri. It's a, it's a pun on Guy Fieri. Yes, exactly. Now, I want you, as I arrange, the, I'm gonna, actually going to get some, I'm just going to get two glasses. Wait one sec. Okay. I, I, I can just say that the Pilsner, the queer Pilsner, that was absolutely delicious. It was really nice. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, it's, it's a very um, simple and sort of refreshing Pilsner. Uh, it, was, it was brewed with those who aren't into craft beer in mind. So some pilsners can be quite bitter or quite occasionally astringent or too punchy. Yeah, sometimes you almost get that slight, I don't, I don't want to use vinegary, but sometimes you do get that slight kind of sharpness to pilsner, I think. But this one's very, very smooth. Uh, yeah, it's re- uh, very highly recommended. Yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you think so. I, I brewed it with my mum and dad in mind because oh, some great. craft lagers, they were, they're not too... Uh, fond of because of the intensity so sort of using their palettes as a benchmark now lily as i open these cans and provide the soundtrack of to the listeners could you tell us about how queer brewing came about what its aims are why it was set up and um oh there's a sound and and fill us in on the story uh right so i uh started writing about beer through uh, my pun named or sort of pun based blog, uh, Craft Queer, which is sort of focusing on diversity and inclusion and sort of using my experience as a queer trans woman in beer, um, which is sort of broadly a, a heterosexual and sort of male dominated industry, to sort of use that as a lens through which to view the beer industry and all the sort of comings and goings and goings on within beer. And I ended up sort of commenting on all sorts of things and being on a bunch of diversity panels at different events and then sort of realized that it was the same few faces on those panels and the same conversations happening over and over again so I wanted to do something that sort of had some sort of tangible impact or um, yeah just it it was it went beyond conversation. That's brilliant. So tell us about some of the people who work with you at Queer Brewing and and your and their experiences of the beer world as a whole. It was initially a collaboration project, so I would work with other breweries to make one-off beers, um, and we would donate a proportion of the proceeds from the sales of those beers to LGBTQ charities, um, and we'd sort of use the the labels and the and the social media sort of campaigns around them to to talk about certain issues, or or in some cases just to make good beer with the word queer on it, um, to sort of be that visibility. Um, but recently, yeah, so when we launched our core beers uh, at the start of this year, um, which is the the wit beer, the pale and the pilsner, um, we also, I also hired 
my good friend Amber, who sort of exists in a an operations and sort of sales role, um, and my now fiance Charlotte uh, is our sort of designer. Um, I think the title I gave her was uh, creative director. Lovely, and the design of them is great. The, I, I love the design with the the kind of how what, what's that typeface? It's got a kind of like medieval style look to it. I like that. <laughs> it's called adhesive number seven. So it's actually like a a black letter uh, typeface made up of bits what appears to be bits of tape. Oh, yeah. um, so sort of quite DIY punk aesthetic-y. I've just poured the wit beer. I'm afraid the pale ale lasted about half... Well, it, as soon as it was cold, it was gone. I'll, I'll, I'll say that when it arrived. <laughs> but I'm going to try the, the wit beer. Now, I this is within my ballpark ABV-wise. It's 4%, but I wouldn't usually check out a wit beer what is a wit beer so it's a belgian style of pale beer it's um a wheat beer uh that get, derives its name from uh the sort of the protein haze and and the cloudiness derived from the wheat that sort of stays in suspension in the beer so it is naturally hazy but it's essentially hogarden uh, hogarden is a, a wit beer um or blue moon um those are the sort of the two common most common examples it's not a lager, but it is in the lager realm. And it's not quite a sort of one of those very vice beers. Yeah. It's sort of betwixt and between, which is quite nice. It. I tell you what, it doesn't... When I say it tastes of flowers, I don't mean it tastes floral. It tastes like I'm actually eating a flower. Oh, lovely. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like I, this is what I imagine a, a petal would actually taste like, not what a flower smells of. I, I got a kind of almost like sweeties sort of quality from this one. I, I really, really, I mean, yeah, like John said, a lot of wheat beers I'm not a fan of, but I do, I don't mind a blue moon now and again. And this definitely felt like that. It's not too kind of heavy and it felt kind of just really light and refreshing and kind of fruity. Uh, but yeah, it's nice sweet kind of flavours, I thought. That that comes from uh, the wheat um, commonly and, and also the the yeast that we used um it yeah the one of the uh, most prominent tasting notes i always give is uh foam bananas that uh sort of sweet sweet shop oh yeah 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 banana estery yeah or bubblegum kind of yeah yeah, yeah exactly mm. um that kind of thing so it's got uh orange peel and coriander seeds and a, and a touch of black pepper in it but the that sort of floral the whole chomping on a flower as opposed to smelling it uh, vibe kind of, I think, comes from the hops we used, um, a German and a Czech hop, which are both sort of quite floral and, and almost herbaceous in their, in their character. So before I head to the other end of the uh, beer spectrum, what are some of the elements of the beer industry that, that you found didn't cater for as wide a possible community? Um, well, I think historically... Uh, the craft beer industry sort of since its inception in in this country sort of since 2007 2008 2009 has sort of primarily focused on men like specifically white straight cisgender men um and sort of even uh sort of more recently in beer at large it's sort of been dominated by men um though as emma uh, mentioned on on her episode uh, beer is historically a female thing in terms of production um, and women have always been so heavily involved um, 
but just all sorts of things from the marketing of of beer to like sort of, again predominantly to men to uh attitudes towards sexism it's only um within the past 10 years that sexism within beer branding and marketing and at events and stuff has been really properly addressed um and it's just been quite in, in terms of progression i think it's it's been uh an industry that's dragged its heels for some time but there's there is more progression sort of happening at a at a faster pace now mm. i mean it definitely used to be in obviously visible ways like you know the the beer pumps with the kind of seaside postcard style humor of kind of lots of sexist tropes that was a, definitely one of the most noticeable things about real ale was kind of awful punning names and yeah that kind of thing yeah like dizzy blonde goes down easy and that kind of thing as a cis white man bracket straight um you don't realize that that is excluding people because you think uh, you may think oh that's childish or that's sort of lame but you don't put yourself in the position of a woman who wants to have a beer not really feeling like they want to get into a conversation with a barman where they're asking for like oh can I have a blow job please it's just like it it's just not worth the hassle so you don't venture into that world of beer yes for sure and I think as well just even things like uh walking into a beer festival just before uh lockdown sort of kicked off and and the pandemic uh happened um I was automatically handed a stemmed glass as opposed to a pint glass just because I'm a woman and I was like well I may have wanted to drink a pint there's just all of those assumptions um and also sort of talking to queer people across the industry and trans people as well just there's been not necessarily overt exclusion all the time but there is exclusion uh and um just a lack of consideration for different needs um it's a it is a homogenous industry to say the least um but there's some some great people doing some great work well speaking of great people doing great work i am about to try flavor town 2 by fury by fieri you know who guy fieri is don't you john no who is it is it is it a singer the mayor of flavor town <laughs> It's hard to explain Guy Fieri if you don't know who he is. He's kind of what's what's the kind of English? No, he's a sort of chef, but he's but was he? A, he's not really a chef. He's a sort of chef. <laughs> what's a sort of chef? Uh, Guy Fieri. Yeah, he, who who would be a good English comparison of Guy Fieri? Uh, the only person I can think of is Greg Wallace, but I'm not sure that's fair to either of them. Yeah, that's that's quite that's quite a good shout actually. Right, imagine. Imagine Greg Wallace with bleach blonde spiky hair, a goatee, very cool shades, and one of those shirts from two thousand and four that has flames on. Yes, like well, like sort of the the late Gary Rhodes. He was very sort of a punk. Do you mean like a punky chef? He's not really a, a chef. One, of, he sort of he did programs. He was, he's not really a chef. <laughs> you're either a chef or you're not. No, there's a middle ground. I, I think. I think. <laughs> let's not discredit Guy Fieri's chefing career. Um, but not calling him a chef. <laughs> I'm not saying the guy's not a chef. I'm just trying to establish how much of a chef he is. He's about. He did programs that are about food. That's what I meant. He's a. He so he did. He did a program about diners, diners, dives, and what was it called? Diners, dives, diners, drive-ins, and dives. Yeah. So it's like touring around America, going to like this place does big burgers. Okay. And things like that. A bit like Man versus Food. Okay. Yeah. I will accept that Guy Fieri is a sort of chef, but anyway. 
I'm about to try this Imperial Porter. Now, Lily, I have pretty strict rules about the strength of beer I can consume. Um, this beer is 8%. Now, I would never try this in a pub. I would never pick it off a shelf in a shop. That's not to say it's not great. But I am going to try it. Oh, I love the sound. It makes a good sound. I'm going to pour it. It looks... Yeah, it's definitely got that sort of black coffee appearance with a... A dark brown head. I'm smelling it now. I'm I'm getting sort of you know that healthy chocolate which just sort of tastes like actual chocolate beans as opposed to sort of dairy milk. It smells a bit like that. Yeah, sort of raw cacao chocolate and the stuff that uh yeah can be very intense. Oh, Christ, it really works its way around your mouth. In a good way? Well, because you, you get that very... You get that burst of alcohol after the taste of the the sort of the porter. Yes, it's very warming. Yes, I would not be able to neck this. And, and I'm not sure it's designed... I'm not saying any of your beers are designed to be necked, but I am someone who will pour a pint of 3.7% pale ale. I'll have a sip. Whoops, it's gone. <laughs> That's not the case with this. Yeah, I'm, I'm very similar in my uh, desires for percentage. In my tastes for beer. <laughs> um, I prefer sort of uh, mostly sub 4% beers. Um, but also there are occasions... Like this was our second birthday beer brewed to celebrate... Um, yeah, hence the the flavor town too, um, because it was initially brewed uh, as just flavor town, um, which was, I think, from memory, designed to be a bonfire night beer, so an imperial porter with toffee and uh, honeycomb, so sort of very sort of uh, bonfire nighty, very warming, very very rich and roasty. I tell you what, there's definite aftertaste of like jet, actual treacle like i was uh, treacle used to, i've just remembered featured quite a lot in my childhood but i'm not quite sure what it was in um like we didn't just eat treacle but you know the did you used to get sort of trapped in treacle <laughs> no but you know those old-fashioned tins of is it like lion's golden syrup there was also a treacle one which was red i think my mum used it for christmas cakes and stuff that's what that tastes like I, t- I tell you what i've just remembered that's the only one i haven't drunk should i get mine and have a go yeah off you go to the mind fridge <laughs> yeah i'm just going to the mind fridge all right back in a sec i mean we've just started this uh, chat and i've already had red wine wit beer and eight percent porter so this really could go i mean it could go badly wrong I have, I have to warn you. Fingers crossed it won't. No, I, I will. So I'm returning now to my wine. I'm not sure that they say, it's always beer on wine feel fine. I'm not sure that they say vit beer and porter on wine followed by wine again feel fine. Yeah, that's quite convoluted uh, for a simple idiom. So someone tweeted me, because I, I said this thing about beer before wine, um, coming from a kind of social commentary, like if you went from wine to beer, you're kind of going down the social ladder. And, and someone said, "Where did you get that from?" And I realise I've got absolutely no idea, and I may have made it up. <laughs> <laughs> Let's tarry no longer and find out what you will be drinking in your dream pub, because Lily, you are here to furnish 
your palace of desire uh, to create your perfect pub. So um, let's start with your first two draft options. Yes. So um, the first of my draft options is Colonel's Table Beer. Um, so again, Emma referred to the Colonel on her episode, um, who are one of the most fantastic breweries in the whole country. Uh, they're based in Bermondsey. So are they part of the Bermondsey kind of mile of that kind of brewery? You know, you can go on a little tour of the breweries around Bermondsey, can't you? Yes and no. For a while they weren't because they didn't have a tap room. Uh, you could buy bottles to take away so you could amble along the mile with one of their famously brown paper bedecked um, bit, uh, bottles. Um, but only recently, I think uh, within the last two years have they opened reopened their tap room. So what, what when you say a great brewery, what does that mean to you apart from just the quality of the product they make? Because uh, there has been quite a lot in the press about, um, how shall I say, the sort of corporate approach of some breweries, shall we say, in the craft scene. Yes. And how they, so their ethos and how they treat their staff. So what do you mean by, by great brewery? Well, I think there's sort of two broad approaches. There's firstly their output, um, like the kernel, they produce some of the best pale ales, some of the best IPAs, some of the best mixed culture, sort of barrel-aged sour beers um, in the market. And everything they, everything I've had from them has just been exemplary and, and absolutely stellar. But they're also wonderful people. Uh, Evan, the founder, um, is often described as the Elrond of craft beer. He's got this <laughs> lovely beard and long hair, and he's a very ethereal, almost mystical being. Um, is he half elven? I wouldn't be surprised. He once, um, I was at a beer festival and just felt this gentle tap on my shoulder. And I turned around and he was just standing there sort of gazing wistfully into the distance. And I was just like, oh, hello, Evan. Aww. He's just one of the most uh, wonderful people in, in the industry, I think. So for me, it's it's their out, the brewery's output, but who they are and, and what they stand for as well. Um, but their table beer is one of my favourite beers of all time. It's th- sort of, it the, the ABV ranges from 2.6 to maybe 3.3, 3.5%. So it's a very easy drinking, very refreshing and light pale ale. Um, And the the hops, they rotate as do many of their beers, um, but the the base recipe stays the same. So it's a bit like a sort of a house house roast that a coffee shop might have. It it does change, but it's always their table beer. Yeah, exactly. I, I love that approach. Just to be clear, when you said that everything they do is absolutely stellar, you you meant in terms of the the quality. Stellar with an R, yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay, so your second draft choice, please, Lily. Um, so this is Allagash White uh, from Allagash Brewing Company, I believe, in Portland, Maine. Um, it is the beer that inspired the wit beer you just drank, John. Ah. Oh. It's um, my colleague and friend Dave got me into it um who's based now in seattle uh but you can only get this beer sort of within a distribution footprint around new england and and a few other places in the u.s oh i bet it would taste so good to have a pint of allagash white in new england i haven't done that yet but it's it's definitely a bucket list event so how do you this will be useful for uh listeners to the moon underwater how do you access these 
these beers? Do, is there a certain website you go to? Are there certain stockists near where you live that might have them? Well, Colonel Table Beer is available sort of uh, all over the shop, literally from sort of corner shops. Um, in So I, I live in London. Uh, you can get it in all sorts of Londises and, and premiers, uh, any, any shop with a discerning beer buyer, I guess. Um, but also more mainstream shops, um, think i've seen i'm not sure um but you can certainly buy the take the the table beer all over the internet um it's very easily accessible where are these i mean we've got we're starting to stock the bar but what does this bar look like what's the vibe what is the emotional resonance the eq of this pub well this is a really interesting question because not only am i sort of in the early stages of planning what will be the first queer brewing venue so i've been thinking this all all through quite a lot and where i'm currently at is half metal bar half gay bar that's sort of Ooh. my vibe though trying to balance how that will appeal to diff- the two different communities is uh proving tricky currently is there sort of an andrew wk element oh yes potentially could that be like a design touch point robin am i on the wrong tracks there well, I think let's give a shout out to. I want to make sure I've got the name right, but the Griffin Pub in Bristol used to be a gay bar and is now a metal bar. Yes. Um, hang on, let me just see. Is it called the Griffin? Yeah, it is because we've been there. Yeah, hang on. I don't think it's there anymore. I've always been confused by that spelling because I've always thought it's the Gryphon. <laughs> and then I say that to someone and I'm like, what do you want about? It's the Griffin. Oh, yeah, it's the Gryphon with the Y. Yes, right, 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 right. Yes. But is that down on the way to um, what was the Colston Hall? Yes, yeah, yeah. Yes. It was on the corner there. And that's the, but the, the, the great thing about metal pubs that, in my experience, is they're always so inclusive. And, you know, and like metal gigs as well, generally, and the metal community, is that um, despite the music being incredibly aggressive, it's a, re- a really nice bunch of people. <laughs> well, when we were at school, we hung out with the goths, and I always found that, in, uh, in the, this is in the late 90s, the more tattoos someone had, the kinder they tended to be, whereas that's now changed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, the, yeah. It's become, that's become appropriated by a, a sort of a different culture. Whereas the first gigs I ever did were in the Hatchet, which is a very, very old pub in Bristol. And it was sort of a rocker metal pub. And there's just never, ever a hint of trouble in there, even though, you know, everyone had sort of piercings and tattoos all over themselves. And yet, you, you, you know, you'd walk into an all bar one and think, whoa this could go south. Uh, I much prefer referring to All Bar One as Alba Rome. It <laughs> <laughs> just gives it a slightly fancier vibe. But yeah, that's, I mean, this is kind of what I've been trying to do with queer brewing. It's not bedecked in rainbows and sort of in unicorns and glitter in the sort of stereotypical queer sense. Um, I'm trying to provide that space for queer people who don't necessarily feel spoken to by lots of rainbows and yeah, pride flags and, and glitter. Um but there's an amazing bar in Denver, which is uh, called True Brewing. It's there. It's True Brewing is a heavy metal themed wild ale producing brewery, um, and they just have the most wonderful tap room with an altar behind the bar, with uh, taxidermy skulls and sort of uh, candles dripping everywhere. And it's it, it is the most uh, 
beautiful place in my mind. Um, but I've also, I wrote a piece uh, at the start of lockdown one, I believe, uh, literally about the the mind pub um, and in response to the moon underwater essay um, in which I talk about all the different elements of different pubs that I would sort of put together to build my mind pub. So in my mind, there's a very good snapshot of what this place looks like. So bring that snapshot alive and do feel free to, to read from your work if, if that if, if needs be. The rough outline of the Mind Pub is as follows. I take the entrance to the Salutation Inn in Gloucestershire, replete with village flyers and other countryside paraphernalia, and attach it to the sloping mosaic floor of the Marble Arch Inn in Manchester. Pints of cellar cool Manchester bitter and more than filling pub fare will obviously come with it. All of that would sit beneath the majestic ceiling, ornately Victorian and draped in protective netting, of the crown and kettle, which, IRL, is just around the corner from the arch. I'd nab the pies and pork and crackling stuffed rolls from the Southampton Arms and pop them on the harp's delightfully clustered bar, which would feature the beer selection of both pubs combined, before absent-mindedly munching on a pork pie for good measure. Of course I'd hire Alan, Al to his friends, the landlord from the Somerset Arms in my hometown of Cheltenham. In normal life, I see him once a year, when my friends and I all pile into his pub on Christmas Eve. I've known him as long as I've been drinking. Black Sabbath would play from the rigged jukebox of the now-closed punk dive I worked in at 18, and I'd resurrect the dartboard from the shithole pub I drank in as a student, though perhaps without the £1.50 double shots of vodka to go with. Sometimes the pub would be full of the quiet murmur of a sleepy Sunday afternoon, perfect for reading books while sipping a half. Sometimes it would be raucous and three deep at the bar, with friends and regulars and oh so many packets of scampi fries. Oh, that's great. Very, very good. Well, there's a delightful mishmash of some superb pubs and especially nice to hear the Harps clustered bar in there. Oh, man. It is the best pub in London. Um, and I miss it so. Klaus! 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 I know we are in the great German rock band Neu, but we need to go to the pub now! Klaus! I want to go to the pub now! Oh, my God, Klaus. I'm going to the moon under Wasser. We're now moving on to your bottled or canned selections, Lily. So you've got the Colonel Table Beer, you've got Allagash White, you've got both of those on tap. What are you having in your bottles and your cans? Uh, so they're both bottles. Um, the first is uh, a Perry from Ross Y Cider and Perry Company. Oh, yes, please. Oh, God, I'm going to be sick with desire. <laughs> <laughs> um, it is, in my mind, the best Perry in the world, I think. Not that I've tasted uh, enough to sort of make that judgment call um but it's called flaky bark perry um and it's quite rare because there are thought to be only six mature fruiting flaky bark trees in the world oh wow and they're all on one hill what they're all all, all on may hill in uh herefordshire like the tree of elsinore <laughs> yes <laughs> but six of them somewhere evan from the colonel is, is nearby <laughs> but yeah so i think it was 2017 they uh harvested the the pears and produced some perry from it but there were a couple of years when the land was sold to someone else and they they couldn't get hold of the new owners so they thought that flaky bark perry was was gone for good um 
until the new owners got in touch with another cider and perry maker and said would you like these pears um and they said we can't touch those unfortunately those should go to ross ross cider because they're the ones who make flaky bark perry oh it's just a really lovely story um but it's also just an exquisite drink it's really quite funky on the nose uh there's a lovely astringency astringency to it but it's not overwhelming um it's a really well-rounded perry it is just yeah it's it's exquisite and certainly something i could drink a lot of even though there isn't that much of it (laughs) that's such a nice story of just sort of being really noble and really honest and nice uh also you say you drink a lot of it 6.8 percent so it'll take your face off. <laughs> yes, it would. But I would commit to it. <laughs> yeah, it looks very, very nice. Really nice bottles as well. They've got a nice swirly metallic uh, apple design on the front. Mm. Oh, they've, they've become good friends, uh, Albert, Mike and Becky. Um, I wrote about them and then sort of just spent a couple of days with them getting rat-arsed on cider. I'm going to get some of this. The nose is iconic, funky beyond compare. That's how I'm often described. (laughs) I just love the idea of a drink having an iconic nose. Yeah. Just to be clear, is it a medium or a dry or a sweet cider? Because sometimes people who are only used to, you know, your Magnus, your Strongbows, your Thatchers, might order a a drink like that and be quite shocked by how dry the 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 cider is so what what are we talking here um so it's classified as a bittersweet uh perry um so it does have that that lovely tannic bitterness or or it has uh, a good level of tannins and a nice sort of hefty whack of bitterness but it's not sort of cloyingly sweet but there is a nice fruit sweetness to it so there's there's a difference between uh actual sweetness and perceived sweetness because you can pick up all the sort of i guess sweet notes in a fruit without it being too in a in a cider or perry without it being too sugary if that makes sense so i guess my experience of the very dry ciders is a bit like biting into a cooking apple it's it's that is that sort of flavor sensation which you'll if you're looking for a sort of sweet quenching summer cider can make you think what who made this yes <laughs> um, but the, you're saying there's a balance in this one yes absolutely i also think that um Yes, I am personally a fan of sort of very dry and very sometimes sharp sides and think they can be super refreshing. Um, but I also appreciate that it's not for everyone. Um, but no, this is really, really well balanced. And um, yeah, it's it's not the sort of perry where you could have one glass and then, then you're done. Okay, great. Well, what's your second bottle? Um, it is PN18 uh, from Tillingham Wines in Sussex. Um, so it's a, it's a Pet Nat Rosé. Um, so Petnat is short for Petillon Naturel, which is a, a style of sparkling wine uh, where it's bottled during the primary fermentation. So instead of it being like cham- uh, champagne or sort of using the, I think it's uh, Method Champenoise, uh, which is the secondary refermentation in bottle to get the effervescence. Um, this is sort of a lighter, more uh, sort of more subtle uh, sparkle to it or effervescence. It's um really quite gentle. So is this a natural wine? It is. So Ed Gamble is really into natural wines, right? And he started talking about natural wines. So I got obsessed with natural wines. So I went to the natural wine shop that uh, Ed was talking about. I think it's called Forest Wines in Walthamstow. Really lovely stuff. And 
the selection of wines it makes you feel like you're sort of in Willy Wonka because they're all kind of crazy and exciting colours. <laughs> I have to say that I bought, I think, four or five bottles. They're all quite funky. And I think part of the problem is the way that the bottles and the labels are designed make you think they're going to taste like Willy Wonka did wines, <laughs> but they don't. <laughs> so... I was texting Ed these pictures of wines going, this is the one I'm trying next. And then I was like, yep, that's gone straight down the sink. Oh, God. Just because they're very, very... I don't have a particularly dry palate when it comes to alcohol, especially ciders and wine. I don't like very tannin-heavy reds. I don't like dry white, and I don't like dry or even medium cider. And I think I'd expected it to taste of sort of sweets. So you, you literally wanted Willy Wonka wines. I did want Willy Wonka wines, <laughs> Lily. Um, That's no bad thing. But is this the Tillingham PN18? Yes, it is. So I'm looking at it now, and it's a beautiful sort of deep... It almost looks like a sunset, the colour going from red to pink to a sort of peach colour. And it says the tasting notes are fruity, rhubarb and cream soda. Well, it does look almost like a kind of cider, really, because it's got that kind of... It's quite hazy, isn't it? Am I right in saying that? It's kind of... Yeah, definitely. Um, Some of the ciders you can get where they're uh, very wild yeast heavy in their, uh, I guess, presentation, perhaps. You do get those, those funky notes. This is such a, I would almost say a jammy wine that's that's quite light in body it's quite low in abv from memory it's very yes 10.5 it's very quaffable in a, in a similar way to a, a, a cider and, and also it doesn't have a cork either it has a kind of metal beer cap yeah. style um that's a, a growing trend amongst uh natural wine producers i think so tell tell us and tell the listeners what does natural wine mean so it's uh also known as low intervention wine so or uh also perhaps biodynamic wine so it's um there's no salt or very very rarely sulfites added sometimes just a little bit to to balance the wine in in bottle um but it's yeah low intervention just sort of means they do as little as possible to it to uh, i guess for want of a better phrase keep it as natural as possible there's a sort of myth that it doesn't give you a hangover as much as regular wine is that true i think that comes from some people react to sulfites and that can be the source of hangovers in within wines um i've had plenty of hangover from natural wine so i, d- I don't <laughs> think that that's necessarily true i would say that the big tasting note i had of all the wines i tried from this shop who i must say the staff were absolutely lovely very passionate wonderful selection it was dry cider a lot of it tasted like dry cider. And I wonder if that comes from the taste of grape skin. You know how grape skin can be slightly bitter and dry? I got a lot of that. And I think maybe that perhaps the ones I chose weren't meant for me. But also, when you go into a wine shop when there's 200 wines, you inevitably, you're basically picking the ones with the prettiest label to start with, because I don't know a great deal about wine. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the PN18 Tillingham Pet Nat Rosé is now stocked in your dream pub. Fantastic. I, I would love a glass right now, as it happens. Well, also, you're on, you're on Guinness Clear tonight, aren't you? Yes, I am. A.K.A. your friend and mine, Hotel 2 Water. <laughs> oh. <laughs> 
Guinness Clear? Is, you, is that what, is that a thing? Yeah, I've heard people calling water Guinness Clear. It's like Crystal Pepsi, but... Uh... But it's also in a Guinness glass. Yes. <laughs> well, now it's time to take a little break uh, from uh, Lily's Dream Pub to test our brain cells, if we've got any left, <laughs> with uh, Robin's Pub Quiz. Robin, over to you. Okay, everybody, pens out, eyes down, it's time for the quiz. He played for Zimbabwe, but he was born in South Africa. I know Alaska is bigger, that wasn't the question. Put your phone away. Right, Michael Jackson's Funky Monkey have been deducted five points. Oh, thank you, thank you. Uh, Thanks, John. Yes, it's time for the... uh weekly moon underwater pub quiz so get your pens ready so lily please uh, feel free to take part no pressure and we'll go through the answers at the end or after the ad break actually um but this week do i know how to party or not it's origins of political terms oh nice <laughs> so yeah so um start off with this question one okay one theory behind the origin of the word wig as in the british political party which was active in the kind of 17th, 18th, 19th centuries, um, is that it derived from a drink that was consumed by the lower classes. But what is a pint of wig? What is a pint of wig? Question two. In the House of Commons... Actually, this isn't a political term. It's It's kind of origins of political things. Question two. In the House of Commons, the distance across the floor of the House between the government and opposition benches is 13 feet. But why? And question three. What is the origin of the terms left and right wing? So get your brain boxes around those three questions. Very good question that, Rob. Because that's a term you hear multiple times a day, and I've never actually thought about it. Watch left and right wing? Yeah. Mm. Very good. Can't wait to hear the answers to that. Uh, We'll be back after some moving music. Um, Sometimes we call this the ad break, but due to how the podcast provider places the ads. They aren't always here. So if you don't hear ads, don't worry, there's nothing wrong. However, if you would like to be guaranteed zero ads in the podcast, head over to patreon.com forward slash moon underwater to get yourself ad-free episodes a day in advance and other multiple benefacts therein. Thousands of people listen to the Moon Underwater every week and we can help deliver your brand message to targeted audiences. So if you're to be part of the Moon Underwater and connect with engaged audio listeners, get in touch. Just email sales at audioalways.com and find out more about how podcast advertising and sponsorship could work for you. That's sales at audioalways.com. Welcome back to the Moon Underwater there are 3,000 tenterhooks in in my line of sight right now, and I've, I've been on every single one of them. So, Robin, please release me with the answers to your political pub quiz. Oh, thank you. Okay, so question one was, the theory, one theory behind the origin of the word wig, as in the British political party former, is that it derived from a drink that was consumed by the lower classes. Or, uh, so... <clears throat> 
Sorry, I'm I'm I feel I'm really feeling the eight percent pause. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry for sending that one. <laughs> no, that's fine. Um, it's a nice feeling. It is, yeah. But what is a pint of wig? Did you guys have any ideas? My guess is porter. Interesting, interesting. I, I can't explain the reasoning behind that, but I just went with porter, and in my notes it says, with lots of foam. Nice. Because that feels rather wiggy. <laughs> yeah, wiggy. My guess is, is it sort of like if you go, what do they call it, mine... Mind sweeping. Is it like the collection of all of the ullage? That's quite a nice guess. It's actually a non-alcoholic drink that it's made it's made from whey or sour milk. It's basically like cheese water. Huh. It was like a hell it was like it's quite a healthy drink. Um it just sprang to my mind. Is it like that milk kefir? It might be a bit like yeah. Is it like the water you get on the top of a packet of cottage cheese? And mozzarella, yeah. <laughs> That's what I imagine in my head. <laughs> Um, so yeah, basically cheese water. It's very good for you. So there's not. So other theories about wigs suggest the name came from Wigamore or cattle driver, but either way, it was a kind of pejorative term for the lower classes or radicals, and was adopted by the party to show that they were kind of arguably more representative of the people or opposed to the divine rights of the monarchy. So it was kind of like an insult, and that's as was Tory. Tory was an insult, still is, but Tory was kind of an insult. It has nothing, and it's kind of adopted. Anyway, this is getting a bit... Let's let's move on. Question two. In the House of Commons, the distance across the floor of the House between the government and opposition benches is 13 feet. But why? Lily? Is it one or two swords length, perhaps, to stop them squabbling? Absolutely. Bang right. Yeah, it's the, it's the, the equivalent length of two swords. Although uh, this is likely to be purely symbolic, given weapons have been banned in the chamber for hundreds of years. John, did you get that one? Yes, I, I was going, I, I, well, I was going to say to stop them duelling, so it was two sword lengths. Yes, yes, two sword lengths, yes. Good, very well, very well done if you've got that at home. Uh, question three, the terms left and right wing. Do you know where those terms came from? The wings of a house or a bird? Nice. It's just a very political bird. <laughs> yeah, a political perhaps. bird. Uh, John, any idea? I don't know. Is it the left and the right wing of the House of Commons? No, but uh, Lily also thought something to do with houses. I like the idea of birds. Maybe it's the left wing. It kind of flies back to his mates, and if he flies to the right, he goes off on his own, looks after himself. Abandons them all. <laughs> <laughs> Abandons them all. I don't know. No, it's actually to do... It comes from the um, French Revolution. So during the French Revolution in 1789, when members of the National Assembly divided into supporters of the king to the president's right and supporters of the revolution to his left. Interesting. Yeah. So that's the, that actually came from that literally standing to the left or to the right. And that's where that comes from. So very well done if you got that at home. Thank you very much, Robin, for a superb political pub quiz. Thank you. Now then, back to the matter in hand. It's Lily Waits' dream pub. And we've done the draft. We've done the bottles. We've got Flaky uh, Bark Perry. We've got PN18 Tillingham Pet Nat Rosé. Uh, but... What are you having on your spirits desk? So spirits have a very fond place in my heart because I, I got into spirits before I got into beer, um, thanks to one of one of my picks. Um, and I did some training and, and thought I would uh, perhaps open a cocktail bar or something more spirits related and then fell accidentally into the beer world. Um, so my, yeah, my first pick is Diplomatico Reserva Exclusiva, which is... Uh, 
a beautiful aged rum, Venezuelan dark golden rum, that also got my dad into rum. I gave him a, a nice snifter, um, and every time I go home, he offers me one in return. Nice. <laughs> it's a very good deal. Yeah. Um, but it's just, it's just absolutely beautiful, almost spiced. It's not really a spiced rum, but it's got that sort of lovely, almost star anise kind of hint of spice. So what's your second spirit? Also dad-related, it's uh, Abalawa 15, the um, Speyside whiskey, 15-year-old uh, Speyside uh, single malt. It's a very easy drinking, absolutely beautiful, really easygoing scotch. Um, so do you prefer Speyside, Speyside whiskies for their flavour profile? Or? I think I think I do, uh, certainly over sort of Isla whiskies. I went through a, a period of drinking um, Lagavulin uh, and nev- I never really got on with Laphroaig. It's a bit too tcp sort of medicinal. So what's the difference between, you've mentioned Speyside, you've mentioned Isla, I'm not a whiskey aficionado. I know Robin likes a, a single malt. What is the difference between a Speyside and an Isla, for example? So Isla whiskies are made with uh, barley that's been malted, uh, is being kilned over burning peat, I think. It's been a while since I've done anything sort of spirits related, but it's the, the peat smoke that gives the malt its very uh, particular and very intense smokiness. Um, and it is, it's often described as very peaty as well, because obviously it's, it's kilned over peat smoke. Um, whereas Speyside is, is much more gentle. It's, it's distilled from uh, fermented, just, I think, very simple barley, nothing too intense. It's a lot more floral, kind of lavendery, kind of the, uh, uh, whereas the, you know, the Laphroaigs, it's, all, it's got that real smoky kind of, very earthy kind of tastes, but I love the kind of floral ones as well myself. I think I think I'd describe uh, Isla as sort of pointy, and Speyside is more much more rounded. I what I think I either watched a documentary about whiskey. I think it was called The Golden Dram, and I was speaking to a whiskey expert, and he said, and it's I think it's a similar thing to red wine, like the sort of. The, the value sweet spot in whiskey, he said, is between about 12 and 15 years old. And actually, as much as people go insane for very old whiskies, you really are over that age of 15 years just paying for the rarity. And the flavour is not improving at the same rate as the price, if you see what I mean. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I think when I've when I've had really old whiskies on the very rare occasion, it's not tasted uh, proportionally better uh, for the price than than a, as you, as you say a sort of fifteen year old. It's the classic headphones equation. Yeah. <laughs> if you're going to buy some headphones, buy forty to fifty quid headphones because they will be four times better than ten quid headphones. But four hundred quid headphones won't be ten times better than forty quid headphones. Am I right? Yeah. That that famous. Headphones equation. <laughs> it's a bit like the. Uh, do you know that Limmy sketch where he's kind of he's he's in an electronic shop and he keeps trying to get someone to buy the most expensive item. He's like, oh, no. mm-hmm. uh, like that. There's three reactions, you know. For the... <laughs> so maybe you like that with the headphones. Yeah. Well, I I I mean I use it in so many different parts of my transactional life, but that <laughs> yeah. that sweet spot. So. You're not going Heinz unless it's on offer, 
but you're not going own brand value. You're going own brand or own brand finest if it's cheaper than Heinz. If Heinz is on offer, get Heinz. Do you, do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Unless you're talking mayonnaise, because Heinz mayonnaise is an abomination. Mm, yes, agree. Jugri, jugri. I have Hellman's vegan mayonnaise is really good. But if anyone from Hellman's is listening, they do both a jar and a sort of a squeezy bottle. But the problem is the consistency of vegan mayo is is too viscous to bring it to the bottom of the bottle. So when it stops coming out, the interior of the bottle is coated with, I'm going to say, 10 servings of mayo that you have to chuck in the blooming recycling. And then you're reduced to slamming it on the on the counter like a lunatic. I've cut open a squeezy bottle of mayonnaise. So have I! Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like an insane person. Do you remember that? That insane Christa Berg interview he did where he start, went off on a tangent and started talking about a toothpaste being a rip-off. And how he always cuts... Yeah, because you have to cut the end <laughs> off. He always cuts open his toothpaste to get more. In fairness to Chris, he's got a point. I think he can afford toothpaste. Well, that's the thing. Is it the sort of point a man worth £80 million should be making? But it, I do agree with it. He's not wrong on that I, count. No, no, absolutely. I think he says it's a swizz, doesn't he? Yeah. What a swizz! Yeah, it's great. He was only worth £70 million until he started saving all of that toothpaste money. Yeah. <laughs> oh, good point. You save the pennies and the pounds will come. Oh, that's interesting. Mm. Superb choices, Diplomatico, Exclusivo Reserve Rum, and Arbalor, is it, sorry? I think it's pronounced Abalauer. Abalauer, 15-year-old single malt whiskey. But now it's time to improve ourselves as we head into the pub library with Robin to pick this week's publy tome. Robin, thoughts? Thanks, John. Yes, so this week in the pub library, I've got an author called Gregory Corso, who was uh, one of the beat generation, I guess. You know, he's sort of your Kerouacs, your Ginsburgs, but he's kind of one of the lesser-known ones, and he had a very, very troubled life, kind of in and out of prison quite a lot. Uh, you know, not an easy life, but he, he he's a really lovely poet, and what I love about this poem is it captures just that a kind of lovely energy of being slightly drunk. And also, it's just, it's like a beautiful poem about New York, but it's also like it just captures just a, such a small moment that I, I, I really like it. So this is Gregory Corso, and it's called Second Night in New York City After Three Years. I was happy I was bubbly drunk. The street was dark. I waved to a young policeman. He smiled. I went up to him and, like a flood of gold, told him all about my prison youth about how noble and great some convicts were, and about how I had just returned from Europe, which wasn't half as enlightening as prison, and he listened attentively. I told no lie. Everything was truth and humour. He laughed, he laughed, and it made me so happy, I said, absolve it all, kiss me. No, 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 he said, and hurried away. Oh, God, that's so good. <laughs> I really like that. It's just about this just one moment of when you're just full of that kind of energy of a night. Do you know what I mean? But it's the, it's that in enthusiasm of drunkenness where you think that everything you're saying has such meaning yeah. and is so profound. But uh, but and and like the cliche is that it's not because you're drunk, but actually I think maybe it can be. 
I was happy I was bubbly drunk. It's great. So. Sorry, carry on, Lily. Sorry, um, it reminds me of that buoyancy of, of tipsiness. When yes, you're not exactly. Sort of yeah. Necessarily spewing nonsense, but yeah, there's there's more confidence in your words than there perhaps should be. Yeah, definitely. I love that. Um, I went up to him and like a flood of gold. Well, that's what it feels like when you're talking and you've got to get this point out because it's the best point you've ever made. Yeah, and it's but <laughs> yeah. it's not a like it's not a cocaine gold. It's a booze gold. Do you no. know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, it's definitely a booze gold. And then just asking the policeman to kiss him. Absolve it all. Kiss me. That sounds more like an MDMA gold than anything. <laughs> yeah, it does. Just yeah. running up to policemen going, hello. <laughs> I've never taken cocaine, but I've, I've been bored by drunks and I've been bored by people on coke. And I would rather be bored by someone who's drunk. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Great pub library, Robin. Thank you. <laughs> Gregory Corso. So... Uh, Lily, in your half metal, half gay bar, <laughs> with its selection of pies, flooring, and doors from various pubs, you've got a jukebox. Well, we've got a jukebox here at the Moon Underwater, and we are desperate for your jukebox choice. Now, you mentioned that Black Sabbath were playing in the background of your mind pub. So, what are you selecting for the Moon Underwater jukebox? Well, this was probably the hardest choice because there are so many... Uh, so many songs in the bloody world, aren't there? There are so many songs, there are so many albums, and there are equally so many artists. Um, I think sort of I cycled through Black Sabbath's Paranoid, um, Transgender Dysphoria Blues by Against Me, um, which is a, a ripper of a punk album. Um, there's a fantastic EP by two post-metal bands called Conjurer and Pine, which was described as four songs in the key of mirth which is just, it's very apt because it's just an absolutely beautiful and uplifting piece of music. But I had to settle with uh, Abba Gold. Oh, great. Because <laughs> it's just, I could listen to it on, on repeat forever um, and never get bored. And it is, I think Black Sabbath and Abba are the two most influential bands of all time, perhaps. Abba Gold uh, and Queen's Great Sits 2 were the first albums I ever bought on CD. However, I... I do have personal beef with Abba Gold because there is a danger, a very real danger, a very current and present threat that Abba Gold is going to overtake Queen's Greatest Hits 1 as the greatest selling album of all time in the UK. Now, don't you worry, Queen are on this. They have put things in place to make sure that that never, ever, ever happens. However, with Abba reforming, there is a chance that Queen's spot atop the greatest ever selling albums of all time in the UK is under threat. I just want to put that out there. I sense that there's a, a preference for Queen over ABBA here. Uh, just a bit, mate. Have you not seen McQueen Emporium? Oh, I could see through the, the haze of this realm to... Yes, <laughs> yeah, two shelves of Queen merchandise in the moon <laughs> underwater. Some official, some non-official. Sorry, Roger, Brian, Freddie, John, and Mary, who gets uh, uh, Freddie's share. I mean, Abba over Queen any day, but... Whoa, 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 whoa. Let's just cycle back a bit. We were getting on very well. We were enjoying our pubs. <laughs> I'm going to allow Abba Gold on the jukebox, but, you know, some of your comments should really have parental guidance warning. Sorry, I was, I was being a flood of gold then. <laughs> yes. Oh, very good.
Okay, so we've got Abergold on the jukebox. Uh, we've got rum. We've got single malts. We've got pet nat. We've got perry. We've got ag- ag- <laughs> we've got Algash White. We've got Colonel Table Beer. But you've got one more choice. It could be anything from any realm, any time, past, present, or future. Maybe not future. We don't know what drinks they'll have in a billion years. Uh, what's your wild card choice? Um, it is Wild Beer Co. and Firestone Walkers uh, Violet Underground, a sour beer from. 2015. I've had some wild beer co stuff before. It's 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 um Bristol, isn't it? Yeah. So they opened their first bar in Cheltenham, where I'm from, um, and it was my first sort of craft beer job, working behind that bar. So that's uh, how I got into everything. It's where it's thanks to that job that I am where I am. Um, and this was sort of the first beer that really blew my mind in a in a really spectacular sense. Um, it's a, a beer, it's two beers uh, blended, uh, fermented with Somerset uh, cider apple orchard yeast. Wow. Um, with Californian raspberries and uh, French candied rose petals. Oh my goodness. It's absolutely mind-blowing. Um, and I was in a bar in New York in 2019, uh, there for a tap takeover of one of my friend's breweries. And I saw it on the tap list and I was like, surely this can't be that beer it can't be the same beer from sort of four years prior to that um and they'd re rebreed it uh and i got to taste it again and it was just yeah a really lovely moment and it tastes it's wonderful how a drink or, or food can it can be so transportative because i was taken right back to where it all began for me are you having this in bottle or on draft uh in bottle the bottle is absolutely beautiful it looks like the sort of tonic that Sherlock Holmes might have in his medicine cabinet it's quite something yeah it's almost it sort of harks back to a, a prior time um but it just speaks of something it speaks of deliciousness but also you can get that wrong sort of that sort of Victoriana look like I saw an advert for um uh, Hendrix gin the other day and I just it was all like paper cuts of Victorian women and slightly Monty Python. And I just thought, oh, sod off. <laughs> it just did. It just felt like it had been come up with in a boardroom or a sort of an advertiser's. Whereas this just looks really classy, like someone whose background is design has really thought and, and taken care with the label as opposed to just thinking, oh, what well, what looks like it's from the past? Yeah, you could go very sort of uh, very bad Jack the Ripper tour flyer. Yeah, just a lot of sort of, um, what are they called, those dresses that Victorian ladies wore that sort of come out a lot. Crinoline, I think. Yeah, that's the material, but is it a, is it a bust or a... A bustle. A bustle, and you just think, oh, try harder. <laughs> See better, Leah. <laughs> Can I have the name of the beer again? So it's Wild Beer. And so the the two collaborating breweries are Wild Beer Co. and Firestone Walker. And the beer is called Violet Underground. Yeah, if you search in your mind for Violet Underground beer, it'll, it'll be the first hit in your mind. Violet Underground. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's stunning. And it tasted uh, better than it looked as well. It was just... My mind asked me if I was 21 years or older then <laughs> on the... Uh... Yeah, and and unfortunately we are now, Rob. Yeah, God. That looks fantastic, yeah. Avant-garde, wild ale. Hmm. You're barred. 
Okay, Lily, we've we've stocked the pub. It's half metal, it's half gay bar, it's very accepting because tattoos in this realm are a sign that you are a kind person, uh, which was the case in the 90s. Not so much these days. There's a massive poster of Guy Fieri on the wall. <laughs> yes, with me staring at it going, what, well, is he a chef or is he not a chef? Make your mind up. Uh, but what is not going to be allowed in Lily Waite's dream pub? What are you barring? So I would have said bigotry in all its forms had that not been uh, stolen by the wonderful Emma Inch. Well, you can still ban it. You don't have to have bigotry in your pub just because Emma doesn't want it. No, no, I, I do. Uh, I, I'll have to deal with all of the the transphobia that would come in anyway. Uh, because I'm going to go for um, that guttural roar uh, that happens when you when someone drops a glass. You know that sort of mm. that huh. that swell of noise and and macho uh, energy. I'm going to do an impression of it now, uh, Lily. Is this what you're talking about? Hooray! <laughs> yes, yeah, that uh, made my skin crawl. <laughs> um, but it, it is that sort of. It's a very, I guess, primal response. But it, it makes sort of your your teeth clench and your your fists clench and your hairs stand up on the on the back of your neck, especially um, as someone who doesn't always feel safe in in certain pubs or even when I was working behind a bar um the kind of people who would love to do that way were the same kind of people that would uh make homophobic jokes at me or, or that kind of thing so it's 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 very much tied to working behind bars but also just uh being in in pubs and bars and you just hear it, and it it's just something that I find repellent well I guess it's it's also a sort of reminder of the aggression of crowds that at any moment it could turn, even though I think there is probably an element in that glass smash cheer, almost a sort of a trying to subconsciously break the tension of the fact that someone's made a mistake. But I, I think you're right in that it actually reminds you that there's a there's a power in that room <laughs> that can be used for good or evil. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and also just sort of the comments that come with it, like you hear the, the roar and then someone goes, oh, is that coming up your paycheck? And it's like, no, it's, it was just a mistake. Um, but the the most interesting instance of that I've ever come across is at uh, the Great American Beer Festival that happens in non-pandemic years every year in Denver. Um, and they don't have glasses. They have these little plastic cups that are sort of uh tough tough and plastic and when you drop it on the hard floor it makes this sort of tinkling sound and then you'll hear that very faintly and then you'll just hear this wave of just sort of (laughs) ripple across the room and you can hear it and almost feel it coming have you got a sound you would like to replace that with so when when a glass is smashed is there a sort of a, a jingle or a horn or a sound effect you would like to be able to hit the sort of yeah the um the victorian car horn the sort of happy happy kind of <laughs> yes thing. we could do that replace that with a, uh, a a a car horn could you also replace bigotry in all its forms with a with a comedy car horn yes or a, or a swanny whistle <laughs> oh very good <laughs> yeah someone goes to call out a slur and just goes yes <laughs> That's good. That would be quite funny if every time anyone tried to uh, use homophobic or racial or misogynist slur that a swanny whistle just came out of their mouth. <laughs> Imagine the fury that that would... <laughs> well, it would like, stop create... them doing it. Yeah, but they'd 
they'd be they'd keep going and keep trying and it would just make the swanny whistle uh whistle even more it'd be brilliant even just swearing i always think swearing is funnier bleeped yeah i know what you mean it's yeah. so much funnier bleeped i kind of agree I, I tend to swear quite a lot um and i think i would find it wearing after a while if every time i tried i would just <laughs> just walking around my own house hurry up please it's time what are we naming this pub with car horns and swanee whistles aplenty, with Wild Beer Co, Firestone Walker, Violet Underground, Abba Gold on the jukebox, Diplomatico Rum, Abba Lauer, 15-year-old, Flaky Buck, Perry, PN18, Tillingham, Petnat Rose, <laughs> Allagash White and the Colonel Table Beer. All of this is happening in a half metal, half gay bar, but what is it called? It's called the Battle Axe and Glamour. Oh, I don't mind that. So it's, it's a sort of a little hit to the, uh, I guess, the metal community's love for medieval weaponry. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's strange how they're obsessed with medieval weaponry, isn't it? I, I don't blame them. I really would love to have a Battle Axe hung up on my wall. Um, <laughs> and luckily there there will be one sort of displayed behind the bar, not in front of the bar, behind the bar in, in the Mind pub. Um, and then I've always just been fascinated by uh the the idea of the glamour being a sort of magic spell like someone being under a glamour Mm. so not necessarily well there's a brilliant john burnside book uh, called i put a spell on you where where he talks about the word glamour and its meanings and this kind of magical kind of thing you have to read it lily it's called i put a spell on you it is a superb book yeah i think so but it also sort of um speaks to the joy of dressing up to go out and, and all the sort of more superficial uh, connotations and just feeling feeling yourself and, and feeling fancy and, and beautiful. Um, and that's what I want people to, to feel in, in this pub whilst wielding a battle axe. Yes, absolutely. And that'll probably also, as well as the um, car horn and swanny whistle, will probably put people off using any kind of slurs if, you, if you've got a battle axe in your hand. <laughs> I, I did think about calling it something like the glittery battle axe, but it just didn't have the same ring. Um, yes. <laughs> well, I think glitter is sort of bec- a bit like tattoos. Glitter is now becoming sort of everyone's property, which is fair enough. Glitter's fun. Um, I've had it with this glitter appropriation. Yes. <laughs> well, thank you, Lily Waite, for joining us. It's been an absolute pleasure to speak to you and to feel the battle axe and glamour <laughs> taking shape right before our eyes. It's now yours to carry around with you wherever you go. And Lily, where can people go to uh, follow uh, Queer Brewing, to read your, your, your beer writing? What are the main hubs? Uh, so on Twitter and Instagram, uh, it's at Queer Brewing to, to follow us for sort of all sorts of updates. Um, and for my own personal stuff, it's LilyWaite underscore. Lovely stuff. And what's the Queer Brewing website? It's thequeerbrewingproject.com. Lovely stuff. Thequeerbrewingproject.com. Do go and check that out. Have their vit beer, wit beer, and have at your peril their porter. <laughs> and Lily, you get... A song to play you out of the moon underwater from Abba Gold. What are you going to pick? Oh, choices, choices. Um, I think gimme, gimme, gimme. And Lily, we thank you so much for joining us. And now you may leave into the vast unending night with your pub under your arm, in your heart and in your mind. Thank you ever so much. It's been an absolute joy. 
Well, folks, as Lily makes her way down rapidly shifting cobbled streets, bemisted and begloaming, we thank her for her time and also welcome you next week to The Moon Underwater, where we'll be welcoming Suze Kempner through the threshold and into the correct realm. Please send us your missed mail at john at moonunderpod.com and get the live tickets for the Sunday gigs in August and September. All the details are at moonunderpod.com. And as mentioned, there are extra seats now released after changes to the government guidance. So it remains for me to call time at the bar. And we will see you very soon. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Thousands of people listen to The Moon Underwater every week and we can help deliver your brand message to targeted audiences. So if you're to be part of The Moon Underwater and connect with engaged audio listeners, get in touch. Just email sales at audioalways.com and find out more about how podcast advertising and sponsorship could work for you. That's sales at audioalways.com.